0: the White House comment line. How you doing? Where are you calling from? We're calling from Beit El, Israel, and Israel. yeah, Israel, the the, the country of the, Israel, the country of. Huh? Yes, yes, ma'am. All right. We just want to convey to the president continued success against the war on terror. We hope that he fights hard against it. At the same time, we feel that it's very important to try to serve justice by letting Jonathan Pollard out. He's one of our brothers. He may have done a bad thing in America, but he served his time. Okay,
1: is that P O L L A R D? Yes. Okay.
0: Yes, Jonathan right. Pollard. He's a president. I thank you very much.
1: Thank you for
2: calling in. Have a wonderful day. It's probably half over already, isn't it? I've always been afraid to go to Israel. No! no.
0: Listen, right. you know that we had the Twin Towers in New York. Those guys want to scare us, and they want to scare you from going to Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem, that's like the holiest place in the world, you know, that's special to all of us.
1: Yes, it is. And and yes, indeed. that's it. So here in Israel, we don't bow to terror either.
0: You're listening to Israel National Radio.
1: Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the nations. I'm Ray Patterson, one of the co-hosts here on Noahide Nations, and let me go ahead and bring in my, my good friend and co-host, Prescott Johnson. Prescott, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Ray. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, as a matter of fact. Uh, we got a really, really big show today. As you know, uh, last week we did the first show on Doctor Goldfinger's "What Is the Meaning of Life," and we're going to be able to finish that up uh, today. And I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of it.
0: Yeah, I, I and and it was uh, it was enjoyable to uh, revisit that lecture, uh, having uh, heard it from the dvds that i had purchased at the noahide nation store of the conference yeah so it was uh, it was a great it was a great lecture and you know i realized that if i didn't sit down and actually take notes there's just no way that i could uh remember all of the various uh issues that he just touched on uh so briefly but it, it was always it it just stimulated your brain and you just uh Started thinking about all kinds of other things connected to it, but he's moving on, and so it's it's a lecture that you can listen to over and over again
1: for sure. Oh yeah, and he's such a, a kind of a funny guy too. Yeah, I love yeah. I love how he starts off the the lecture uh, right after he gets introduced. He comes up and takes the mic, <laughs> and he and he what's he say? He says, "Well, I've been tasked with the job of <laughs> answering the question: What is the meaning of life?" By lunch. By lunch. <laughs> oh, and that just kind of set the, the tempo for the whole lecture, and he, you know, he's yeah. really a, a great teacher. It's no wonder uh, Johns Hopkins uh, has him as uh, one of the professors there and probably don't want to let him go. So let's get through the rest of these announcements here so that we can get back to that. One of the the first things that I would like to mention, many uh, of you, and I know for myself and Prescott, I happen to know this man personally, and uh, his name is Vendel Jones. Uh, Vendel Jones is a wonderful human being. He and his wife both. They're just tremendous people who've done just an enormous amount of of, of mitzvot through the years but one of the major things that they have done for gentiles is actually become noahides and Vendel's teachings have brought more gentiles to being noahide through the truth than basically anyone that uh, that i know of well well he
0: certainly uh he certainly was one of the first names that I encountered, <laughs> and certainly with controversy, uh, because he certainly was going outside of the box of where most people, Jew or non-Jew, uh, how they looked at the relationship between Gentiles and the Torah. He certainly, uh, he certainly paved the path for, uh, for so many of us, and uh, to which we owe him a great deal. Of uh, gratitude.
1: Absolutely. He has definitely gone where no man has gone before. The reason I bring this up, uh, my friends, is uh, Vendel has been having a, a great deal of health difficulties uh, as of late. Uh, many of you know that he is a diabetic, so that's number one. the number one thing that he's had to been, be dealing with. But he was also recently diagnosed with having cancer. And Vendel is currently in the hospital and, and hopefully will win this battle. But I would ask that all of you, please, keep Vendel and his wife and his family in your prayers because I don't know that there's anyone more deserving of our prayers than Vendel Jones. Vendel, if you're listening to us, God bless you, man. You've done an awful lot uh, for us Gentiles who became Noahides. We thank you very much. Now, some of the other things that we wanted to talk about, Prescott and I, was, you know, a couple of the upcoming interviews... One of them is with a gentleman by the name of Roger Grattan, who happens to be an emissary, one of the emissaries for the Sanhedrin. And he basically is an emissary on the B'nai Noach issues in North America and the Sanhedrin. Kind of a middleman. And we're going to find out exactly what he does.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and and, uh, and this is part of... Our goal here on the show is really to get people aware of the various people that are uh, involved in the Noahide movement at large, uh, because sometimes when you're uh, uh, when when you don't have your finger on the pulse of what's going on, you can sometimes feel like it's just you and you alone in your little old universe. And the fact is that there are many people that are working on behalf of Noah Hides and working for Noah Hides. And we, we just want people to become more aware of who they are and the role they play.
1: To that end, Noahide Nations actually has, uh, and has had for a number of years now, an online virtual uh, classroom. Formerly it was called the Torah Learning Center, and with the new uh, website and new room, we've actually changed the name also to the Noahide Nations Academy of Shem. And one of the teachers that we have teaching in there, we're also going to be doing an interview with, Rachel Wise. And she is just a wonderful lady. She's a wonderful Jewish lady and is a Torah observant. And she is teaching a class right now that is called uh, Aspects of an Effective Relationship. And not only is the topic a a wonderful one, because certainly from time to time we all struggle with having an effective relationship with some people, others we have wonderful relationships with relative ease, (laughs) if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. But Rachel is really a a wonderful teacher. I've sat in on uh, a number of her classes, and I mean, she uses Torah as a guide in, in these developing these relationships establishing what's wrong and, and how to make things work and it's a very very interactive class I mean when you attend Rachel's class best put on your thinking cap when you step in because uh, she's going to be asking yeah, questions yeah. and she likes to hear from everybody did you get that too, uh, Prescott
0: Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, uh, when, when I've been in those classes, uh, it's, it, you know, and it, she doesn't let you get away with, you know, when she's putting the questions to you or asking you to go through exercises, she really pushes you to sort of get your brain into what she what she's trying to get the listener, the, the student to get from the Torah, the part of the Torah that she's drawing her uh, classroom to get you to get into that. And, and to learn from it so that uh, you can have better relationships with the people around you because uh, that's what it's really so much of our life. In fact, all of our lives is about relationship, whether it's a relationship to Hashem or to each other. And uh, she just does that really well, and uh, I, I've always enjoyed any time I've been able to be in her class.
1: Yeah, and I have as well, and I know that a lot of the time she, at least while I've been there, uh, she gets into discussions on you know, adults, parents, and teenagers. Uh, which is probably mm-hmm. one of the most difficult times uh, of, of a parent's life and also the teenager's life. So she also <laughs> yeah. she provides a lot of help <laughs> in this area. and uh, So it's a worthwhile class, and I think it's going to be a fun interview.
0: Yeah, and I think the second half of that interview, uh, she's planning on actually doing a class uh, for the radio show, and Ray and I get to be
1: the students. Oh, boy. So that should be fun. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the heads up. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'll have to find my thinking cap now. Thanks, Prescott. <laughs> yeah.
0: we got to work on a
1: relationship right yeah. now,
0: and Rachel's going to help us.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, then. Moving right along here. So one of the things that Prescott and I have uh, chatted a little bit about was uh, having a kind of a either a different segment or a different show that we would do from time to time. That I don't know what you want to call it—a you know, fireside discussion, uh, uh, you know, proactive Noahide, interactive Noahide. Yeah, I, we're not sure yet what you'd want to call it, but it's something that to, uh, that will help us as Noahides to kind of you know digest what's going on uh, and, and figure out. You know, just what we as Noahides need to do that is part of Hashem's destiny and how we can be uh, active in reaching Hashem's destiny for us. And this was something that we've uh, taken very seriously and want to, you know, do something uh, very serious about. And certainly we need your help. One of the reasons we're doing this is because we want you folks to be involved. Which reminds me, uh, we do need and want topics. Uh, that you would like for Prescott and I to discuss and also any questions that you might have about you know, where's the Noahide movement going? Where's it been? Uh, are there any leadership training programs? You know, Just whatever is on your mind, send these along. And I'll tell you what, if we don't have the answers, we're going to get them for you. Just send those to Noahide at IsraelNationalRadio.com. So Prescott, we've talked about this a lot. What are your thoughts on this?
0: Well, I think that um, my my own observation and uh, and and forgive me anyone if I if I feel like I'm stepping on anyone's toes because it's certainly not my intention to do so. But it seems to me that so many Noahides have become quite insular. They have they have become isolated. They've taken on studying the Torah and exposing themselves to different Torah teachers uh, and different rabbis, but to actually come out of a place of receiving to a place of giving, to a place of contribution. Uh, you know, we did a show, uh, actually a series of shows a little while ago on theft and the and uh, kind of the uh, the antidote to theft or the opposite of theft, the positive commandment of uh, of the prohibition against theft is charity. And what can we as Noahides do to contribute to? The Noahide community and to the Noahide movement uh, is it something that we just allow people like uh, Roger Grattan or people like Ray or people like Jim long and, and and so on is it just the few people that you allow to take up the the cause and and uh, and run the race or is this something that we are all called to do is this something we are all called to be involved with in some way I mean we all can 't do a radio show and we all can 't do what uh, Roger is doing but there are things that need to be done and Noahide Nations is, uh, you know, one of the purposes of the, of Noahide Nations is to give a platform for people to become involved in various ways that sometimes aren't so obvious and so that's one of the things we want to talk about is what ways can you contribute that aren't so obvious uh, you know, from, from where you're at
1: Well, and again, uh, we would like our listeners to help out with this because you know, Prescott and I don't know all the answers uh, this is one of the reasons why we're having this and uh, if you have uh, some answers and would like to contribute that way by all means just you know, send an email to us but let's face it Prescott is absolutely right it cannot be left up to a handful of people to kind of uh, carry the torch Hashem expects us all to be active in fact that's what mitzvot are all about you you perform votes not by thinking about them but you but you perform them by actually doing them, and that's what we want to you know be talking yep. uh, about from time to time on uh, different shows and maybe wind up even having a, an entire segment. But you know, like Prescott said, everybody has something to contribute. Hashem gave us all a gift and we are to use that gift uh, on Hashem's behalf. And, you know, let's face it, I mean, you know, Prescott, you and I have, uh, have more or less done the math. If you were to uh, look at the Jews' responsibility of taking Torah and the truth of Hashem to the world, to all of mankind, you have to sit back and go, wait a minute. If you were to count up every man, woman, and child who is a Jew, even if every one of them were an observant Uh, orthodox Jew, you'd have to agree the numbers don't work. There wouldn't be enough of them to accomplish the task. Well, what does this mean? This means that Noahides have to be involved in helping the Jewish people to achieve that goal. And that's one of the things that we're here to assist with is uh, not only for us to be a part of that, but to help you become a part of that as well. Right,
0: yeah. The, The infrastructure that grew over time within the Jewish community allows the Jewish community to do so much that we as Noahides are just starting to understand that we need to do as well. It's one thing for a Noahide if they wanted to start their own website to express their point of view about being a Noahide, Um, If every Noahide did that, we would still only have people sort of visiting each other's website. There are behind-the-scenes, almost thankless tasks in the sense that people don't get recognition that need to be done to to create that infrastructure to make these things possible, to um, to make an impact on the world around us, because there really is a lot that needs to be done. And it means that people are going to have to... Uh, become involved uh, in making it happen.
1: Absolutely. We don't want to take the entire show to be talking about this because we're a little bit unprepared for it overall. So, uh, Prescott... (laughs) Let's go ahead and jump back into Dr. Andrew Goldfinger's What is the Meaning of Life? We'll go ahead, Prescott, and let uh, uh, the folks listen to the next, oh, seven, eight minutes here. And then we'll go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come back for the completion of Dr. Goldfinger's lecture. So let's roll.
2: Now, what do these worlds mean? There's an analogy which is given by Kabbalists. And it's the following. Let's talk about a rich person giving tzedakah, giving charity to a poor person. rich person takes the coin, puts it in the hand of the poor person. The coin is like the olam ha-siyah. is the thing which is being transferred. It is the goal of the entire action. This physical world that we have here and its spiritual components is the goal of the creation. It's here. Not illusory, just not the ultimate reality. The hand of the poor person accepting the coin is like the olam yitzira, the world of formation. It receives as best we can understand that. The stretching forth of the arm of the rich person is like the olam habria the creative force. The hand of the rich person holding the coin to give it forth, the source of the value, is like the olam tzilas, the closeness. And the intention and will of the rich person to give is like Adam Kadmon, the highest level. Again, just an analogy. Traditionally, there were certain requirements that people had to have before they studied Kabbalah. One is they had to be married. One is they had to be over the age of 40. That's the easiest one. And the third is they had to be Torah scholars. Nevertheless, the real depth the real deep study of Kabbalah was discouraged because there's danger involved in it. And there's a the danger of madness. Among the various dangers, there's a danger of... My, many of the great Kabbalists died young. The Arizal, I think, was, 40, was he 41 when he died, I believe. Uh, Rabbi Arya Kaplan, who, as I mentioned, was 48. Many of the Kabbalists died young. And the Talmud talks about people getting involved in things and coming to to bad ends. Benzoma went mad from studying some of these things. Talmud says only Rabbi Akiva went in peace and returned in peace. And, you know, Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, I don't know how many of you have heard of him, somehow when I say he's a brilliant man, it doesn't capture. Is that correct? (laughs) It's It's not adequate. It's not adequate to say that he's a brilliant man. But I heard him speak once, and he was comparing the reading of Dostoevsky and the reading of Hermann Hess. And he said, if you really study Dostoevsky carefully, you will profit from it. But if you really study Hermann Hess carefully, you may go mad. And for any of you who have read Dostoevsky and Hesse, uh, you know, Dostoevsky is very conceptual, and Hess is, is on the borderline of other things. Um, my Rebbe says, worry about kindergarten first. Okay? We talked about this business of giving the coin and tzedakah. Every time you make a charitable donation, all of those five worlds are being influenced by that activity. Every time you um, go to the bank... And as the teller looks away, there's some money lying there that without seeing you could just snatch. And you don't do it. And you have performed a mitzvah, even though it's a negative mitzvah. Um, These five worlds are being influenced. And if you think about it too much, you can go crazy thinking about this. So as my Rebbe says is, give the money. Don't take the money. God will take care of the rest. The world is here. This is where we are. This is where we act. And as Rabbi Box said, Olam Haba, we don't know what that is. We'll find out. Okay. But right now, there's things to do. So that's what we worry about. <laughs> so God hides in this world, and we are to act in um, the world as we understand it. I'd like to tell you one way, one of the ways in which God does hide in the world. And there are a myriad myriad of ways, but I want to talk about one of the ways that God hides in this olam asia, in this lowest level of reality that includes the physical world. And that is through physical law. Physical law. So let me show you how this works. I have here a roll of masking tape. I'm going to hold it here and let go. You ready? What happened? Gravity. First, no. What? You, what did you see? It fell, it fell down. If I let go again, what will happen? Fall down. Okay. Now, why does it fall down? Gravity. Gravity. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. The reason that it falls down is because God made it fall down. If God wanted to, could God make it go up? Yeah. So why is it that every time I do it, God makes it go down? Well, well, first of all, it keeps me employed. So I'm very grateful for that. right. But why does God make it fall down all the time? God's what God... Why does God want that in the terms of what we've been saying here today? If God acts in a pattern that I can observe, I can call that pattern a law of nature and say there's no God, there's a law of nature. If every time I let go of the tape, it falls down, I observe it carefully day after day after day, and I say, oh, there's a law of nature. It's called gravity. Things fall down. Now, I make measurements, I refine it, I make the law more accurate. But God always does it the same way. After a while, I sort of catch on, you know? This is what you do with your kids, right? You train your kids by doing something again and again and again and again, you know? If you go out into the street, you're going to get a time out. Go in the street again, you get a time out. You notice, 50 years ago, I wouldn't have said that. What would I have said? You get slapped. Yeah. <laughs> See, my 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 uh, middle son has a problem with his daughter. They have a time out corner for her, and she loves it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something wrong here. <laughs>
1: Well, folks, we're at that time once again. We're going to have to go ahead and close out the first half of our show here and take a break. But we certainly hope you all will stick around with us and come back for the second half of the show and hear the conclusion of what is the meaning of life. See you then. Hi, this is Eve Harrow of Judea and Eve on Israel National Radio. Our greatest resource are you, our loyal listeners. We know you tune in into our free programming to stay connected with Israel, which we all love. But we need your help to continue broadcasting. So just click on the Support Us button on top of our Israel National Radio website and fill out the simple form. Our staff will then call you back to receive your contribution. Your help will make the difference. Thank you so much and enjoy our shows. Welcome back, everybody. We are certainly glad that you stuck around for the second half of this wonderful teaching by Dr. Goldfinger. We appreciate you listening here to Noahide Nations. So let's get back into what is the meaning of life.
2: So, um, you know, the punishment has to fit the crime, right? It's like I was saying before to Rabbi Avenir, you know what the the, um, punishment is for bigamy? Two wives. Anyway... (laughs) But um boom What was I saying? The child, after a while, gets the point that if I go out into the street, something bad's going to happen. Now, they don't understand that it's for their own good. It's because I don't want you to get hurt, right? They kind of don't learn really what is the right thing yet, but it's good enough. A physicist watches this over and over again and says, there's a law of gravity, Hmm, Okay. Now we played a card game, remember that? Mm -hmm. And I put a card here and I asked you to make a sequence. And then we picked this and this and then George picked these two. Why are these the two correct cards? Well, you're all afraid to answer now. Fits a pattern. pattern. No! (laughs) Your name in the pink was, is? Eileen. Eileen. Are you the one, or was it the woman behind you who said... What did you say when I said pick a card? You want want what I want. She was closer to the truth. The reason that those cards were correct is because I said so. Did I, when we started this game, ever say there was going to be a pattern? What did I say? We're going to make a sequence of cards. George comes along and observes a pattern, right? George is a scientist. Are you a scientist? No, you should be. (laughs) Because you think in that way. And he came up with a hypothesis that it was red, black, red, black. We call that George's law. Mm -hmm, All right. (laughs) And he then, as a good scientist, proceeded to test George's law by experiment performed two experiments, got them right, and said, I have not discovered the truth, although some scientists would say that, but I have confirmed the hypothesis. Really, what's going on over here is that I am choosing the cards. George found a pattern, that I acted in a pattern knowing that George, or someone, would figure it out. And if George wants to, now he can say, there's a game here, and there's a rule to the game, so that when I Pick out some cards. And I say, George, what's the next card? And you say King of Diamonds, and I say no. Pick another card. Queen of
0: Diamonds.
2: Queen of Diamonds, and I say no. George, pick a card. King of Spades? Ten Ten of Spades, yes. What happened?
1: Changed
2: Changed the pattern? It's a miracle. Throughout all of history, which was a sequence of five cards, it was red on black and black on red. And the scientist says it must be red on black and black on red, because that's a law of nature. And according to George's law, that's what has to happen. It can't happen another way. Every time I let go of the tape, it goes down. It can't go up. Wrong. If, on some occasion, God wants it to go up, he makes it go up, and we say, it's a miracle, it's a miracle! It's no more miraculous when it goes up than when it goes down. And there really is no law here except my will in this game. Hey, I got to play God. (laughs) Why do we study physics? Einstein said that he studied physics to know how much freedom God had in creating the world? What are the basic laws of physics that constrain reality to know how much freedom God had in in making the world? We would say, wrong approach, buddy. No, God created the laws of physics. God is not limited by the laws of physics. A number of years ago, I spoke with a physicist named Edward Tryon. And Edward Tryon is a... uh, uh, I'd never met him, but I spoke with him by phone. Uh, fascinating, very open, and highly intelligent and nice person who said, please feel free to call me you know, whenever you want, but always make sure it's somewhere between 2 and 6 a.m., because that's when he's working. And he said he's an atheist. He says, I can explain everything in nature, everything in the world through the laws of physics. And then he laughed, and he said, but of course, that raises the question, Where do the laws of physics come from? You see, there has to be an origin to the physics itself. And then we get into the Big Bang, not observing the laws of physics, a whole other thing. Um, And the problem that, that Stephen Hawking is having, because he kind of showed that the laws of physics don't apply to the origin, and that bothers him philosophically. He's an honest person, and trying to find a way around it. The main point over here is that God is hiding. And through the laws of physics is one of them. Why do I study the laws of physics? It's fun. It gives me pleasure. And money. And I support my family that way. Which is a good thing. And if you can support your family and have fun, that's great. And even better, it's on government contracts. So we don't have to work so hard. (laughs) Hmm. Pleasure is what it's all about. And we're playing the game of hide-and-seek. And if we wish, God gives us the freedom to be atheists and say everything is the laws of physics. There is no God. And usually, usually we're then correct in predicting what happens. We can say it's all the laws of nature and so on. And usually they work. On those few occasions when they don't, and I know of some of them, and many of you may, we call it a miracle. No more miraculous then than when the laws of physics are followed. And in those cases in which the laws of nature have changed, and we call it a miracle, uh, the question is, why did God do it at that time? And we talk in Torah about miracles within the laws of nature and miracles outside the laws of nature. And strangely enough, it takes more merit on the part of the person to deserve a miracle within the laws of nature than one outside laws of nature. And that's a whole other discussion that I'm not going to do with you because I don't understand it myself. The game of hide and seek. God hides and says, come find me, and you can cheat. I gave you a map to find me. It's called the Torah. And you say, just a minute, it tells me that I shouldn't eat the limb of a living animal. Right, one of the seven commandments. Which, by the way, is not that uncommon. If any of you come from the West and know what prairie oysters are, and a Noahide, any human being, is not allowed to eat that. Now, what does that have to do with finding God? Right? First of all, by becoming similar to God, by creating yourself and perfecting yourself. And then you do find God. But you have to do it yourself, because words will not help you to understand that. I spoke about crossword puzzles at the beginning. Uh, for those of you who like crossword puzzles, have you ever had the experience of going on an airplane and you feel like doing a crossword puzzle? So what do you do? Take the magazine. So you pick up the magazine and you open it up and it's been done. So how do you feel? Disappointed, right? Oh, Well, why? The answer's there. You've been saved all the work. Aren't you happy? No, because there's pleasure in the hide-and-seek. There's pleasure in the problem-solving. There's pleasure in taking it on because that's the way God created us. Are there people who just want the answer? Yeah. Yeah, there are. And unfortunately, in our society now, um, there are very deep problems with self-esteem among certain people in our culture because they don't achieve on their own. They've had things given to them and they expect things given to them and they expect to get happy and they don't. And you all know that it's the effort, the, the self-esteem that comes from achievement, the self-esteem of creating yourself, perfecting yourself, coming close to God through that action. So just as we look forward to doing the crossword puzzle, the rest of our lives, which are going to have varying degrees of ease and difficulty, we remember that those difficulties are what get us there. And of course, since this is, uh, I'm Jewish and this is a lot of Jews at this conference, and the major Jewish theme we discovered is food. Uh, As you all know, the internet is the most powerful tool ever created for spreading misinformation. And one of the things that, if you have not received, you may receive someday, is an email that says, NASA scientists calculated the motions of the planets and the sun and the stars, and they found there was a time in history when everything stopped. And that was the time of Joshua. Nonsense. They never did any such calculation. Uh, it's complete garbage. <laughs> so that had to be a, um, uh, an, an example of uh, laws of nature uh, uh, being overridden. Now, there is a controversial person who is no longer living. His name was Emmanuel Velikovsky, and many of you may have heard of him. Uh, he wrote books in which he tried to unite archaeology with science. And usually my experience, and maybe uh, um, uh, our archaeologist here can confirm this, is the archaeologists say... Well, his archaeology wasn't very good, but his science is terrific. And the scientists say the science may not be fully accurate, but the archaeology is terrific. I, I, I can't comment a lot on that. He claimed to find parallels, and he claimed that on half of the Earth, there are traditions of the sun standing still for a day, and on the other hand, half of the Earth, there are traditions of it being dark for a day, which would be consistent with the Earth stopping. I don't know if he's right or wrong. I don't know. Um, Velikovsky is, as I say, very controversial. Uh, He uh, apparently, I know some people who met him, said he was a very sincere and honest person. And he predicted some things that were correct, such as Venus being very hot and and things of the sort. But um, I'll leave it up to each of you if you read his books as to what you do with them. I have no comment, and I'm not qualified of, of speaking about his books. Yes. What about setting the exact second of the new moon? What about setting the exact second of the new moon? Ah, another controversial subject. <laughs> uh, here's the deal: we have a calculation of the length of time. Can I can I take another five minutes and say that the Jewish calendar is what a lunar calendar or a solar calendar? Lunar.
0: Calendar. Oh.
2: Great. Um, you see. I know this is a non-Jewish audience. I asked a question that has two answers, and I got three. All right, with a Jewish audience, I would have gotten four, all four possibilities, and maybe 10, okay? But but you're good, you're getting there. <laughs> some said lunar, some said solar, and some said both. All right, now some of you could say, could have said neither, that one I didn't hear. The answer is it's both. It synchronizes with the sun and with the moon. Now, in order to synchronize the lunar part of the calendar, Uh, When the temple existed, the new moon was um, observed in Jerusalem. Uh, Oh, excuse me. It was observed, and then the witnesses would come to Jerusalem to testify that they saw the new moon. And then the Sanhedrin would say, yes, indeed, the month has begun. Now, we no longer have the same Sanhedrin, (laughs) the universally accepted Sanhedrin. I'm going to get in big trouble here. (laughs) We don't have the temple. There we agree, right? yet. Um, By the way, financial advice, invest in Tupperware. You know why? Because when Mashiach comes, the temple is rebuilt. Lives are going to change because we'll have to worry about what are called Tuma and Tahara, purity and impurity of of objects and things. And our lives will be very complicated. Plastic cannot become tummy, cannot become ritually impure. And the use of Tupperware is going to increase tremendously. So if you want to take it from me, especially in terms of what the market's been doing, Tupperware is the way to go, okay? (laughs) What was I saying? So when the temple existed, witnesses would come and they would testify they saw the new moon. Now, throughout all of history, the new moon has occurred 29.530589 days after the previous new moon. Kind of. Now, where does that number come from? It was known by Chazal, it was known by the rabbis of the Talmud, by a complicated calculation based on the written Torah with a methodology given in the oral Torah. Now, it's hard to observe this because the moon's orbit is not perfectly circular it's slightly elliptic so really the time from and the earth's orbit around the sun is slightly elliptic so really the time from one new moon to another varies from month to month this is what's called the time of the molad, which is like the mean or average new moon but everyone knew it was about twenty nine and a half days and by the way the torah figure is very very accurate And there's controversy as to how this figure was arrived at. The secular scholars say they got it from the Babylonians. A man who I worked with who was named Robert Newton and specialized in ancient astronomical observations said that's nonsense, that they couldn't have had it that accurately. And uh, he said they were lucky. And uh, that's a whole other argument in itself. But the fact is that everyone knew the new moon's going to be in 29 and a half days, roughly since the previous one. Why have witnesses come in and testify when you know when it's going to be? Now, nowadays, we don't have the witnesses, so we calculate the calendar. But when the temple is restored, we will rely on witnesses again. Why try to have witnesses deal with something and testify to something when you know when it's going to be? It's got to be 29 and a half days. Why does it have to be 29 and a half days? Because it's a law of nature, right? It's been that way throughout all of history. Uh, just a minute here. What's the ultimate reality? It's the laws of nature or it's God? Just because God has made it mean be 29.530589 days, does that mean that he has to do it this month? No. So let's wait and see. At least at one point in our lives, it could be another point perhaps, But at one point in our lives, let's recognize God's mastery of the universe and wait and see when it is, thereby saying, God, you're hiding, you're hiding. You know what? We found you. We know you're there. We know you're pulling the strings. Okay, the rest of our lives are not as clear. But in this case, we'll make it clear. And that gets into the whole subject of the new moon and repentance, tshuva, return, Whole other subject, but but very quickly, tshuva, the Jewish concept of tshuva, uh, what you do when you've done something wrong. Um, I always explain that by a very well-known Jewish story, which you all know. It's just that you never thought of it as Jewish, because it was written by Charles Dickens, and it's called A Christmas Carol. <laughs> uh, why do I call that a Jewish story? Because at the end, what does Scrooge do? Does he go into church and beg Jesus to forgive him. No, he corrects his actions. That is the concept of tshuva. He regrets what he did and corrects the actions to the best extent that he can. He's not forgiven by the grace of God. He earns his forgiveness and does something about it. That's the concept of tshuva. Tshuva makes no sense because tshuva Okay, I'll try to do this in five minutes. What is the reward and punishment that we get at the end of our lives? The tzadik, the righteous person, the rasha, the evil person, when they go into the parking area where Rabbi Bakht had, I don't think you mentioned it, but above and below your timeline, you had the soul areas of, you know, we can't cover everything here today, <laughs> but it's where the souls go until Olam Haba, call them heaven and hell. Whether you've been good or bad, you get the same thing. What? What about reward and punishment? Right? Well, here's kind of how it goes. This is an analogy. Imagine that your life is over, and you are taken into a huge movie theater. And in the movie theater are all your friends and relatives, all the people you love, and also all the other people in the world and all the people who have existed throughout all of history. And they're about to show a movie. And what is the movie? Your Life, with subtitles as to what you were thinking. (laughs) Now, is this heaven or is it hell? (laughs) Depends on who you are, right? Here's the deal. If you do tshuva, you've done something wrong in this world, it's going to be in that movie. And you are going to feel it because you'll understand what's right and wrong in the next, in this parking space or wherever it is. If you do tshuva, you can have one of two motivations. One of them is tshuva me yira, tshuva that you're motivated by fear. And the other is tshuva me ahava, tshuva from love. They both work. If you're motivated by fear because, I don't want to see the movie with that in it. I'm scared. And you do tshuva, not that you say, God forbid me, but you do what you can to correct yourself, correct the situation. It's a process, and you go through the process of tshuva because you're scared of the punishment. When that movie is shown, that is edited out. It's gone. Now, here's the stranger thing. If your motivation is not fear, I mean, you are afraid, but more than that, you say, Master of the Universe... I violated the whole reason you created this world. I have hurt you. And you're motivated by your love for God. When that movie is shown, that action is turned into a mitzvah. It's turned into something good. I can't do that with the analogy. But it counts as a mitzvah. Now all of tshuva makes no sense. You're changing the past. You're changing the movie. It's a miracle. You can't change the past. That is a law of nature, that the past can't be changed. Uh, What is a law of nature? It's a way that God hides. On Rosh Chodesh, the day that we have the new moon, we say, gotcha, I'm gonna wait and see when this new moon comes about. And I'll see when you make it. And uh, recognize that you can change the laws of nature if you want. Well, I also want you to change the laws of nature by allowing me to do chuva. And that's why the new moon is a particularly good day to do chuva. And I'll finish and let you get to lunch with a quote from Mark Twain, uh, which I hope I can get right. He said that October is a particularly dangerous month to speculate in the stock market. The other particularly dangerous months are November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, and September. <laughs> All right? And I think that we can finish by saying that the day of the new moon is a particularly good day to do chuva. The other particularly good days are the other days of the month. Lunch!
1: <laughs> Well, folks, we're going to have to bring to a close this wonderful teaching by Dr. Andrew Goldfinger on what is the meaning of life. And I know, Prescott, I got a bunch out of this. Did you get anything out of this? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Absolutely love this lecture. Absolutely.
1: We hope to see you next week. Shavuotov.
0: Shalom.
2: I've got to congratulate Arut Sheva. I think
1: Arut Sheva is a very important news outlet. I know that Jews all over the world
2: follow Arut Sheva, whether it's in English, French, Russian, or Hebrew. So I congratulate the listeners and those who make the news available. We've come to the
0: greatest country in the world, and we're happy to be here and happy to be Israelis. We've kept up to date on what was going on in Israel every single day by watching Arut Sheva, Israel National News.
2: O God, ease our suffering in this our moment of great despair. Yea, admit this good and decent woman into thine arms and the flock in thine heavenly area up there. And Moab, he laid it down by the band of the Canaanites. Baruch hallelujah.
0: Israel National Radio, keeping the spirit of Zionism alive.